everyone. Welcome to this episode of Budgeting Period. I wanted to give you a little bit of an intro because today I get to talk with Ed Combs and he is such a wonderful friend that I met at a conference, but he is helping us with our money, but in our relationship. And so you and your spouse, your significant other, the person that you live with, the person that you share money with, whoever they are, how can we just open up a little bit more and make sure that we're on the same page? Because money is already stressful. And so it's really important that you have one person on your side that you guys can tackle this together. And so we do run out of time in this on this call. I wish we had so much more time. We'll have to do a part two next time, but I didn't get to ask him all the questions that I wanted. But if you have questions, send them over to me, send them over to Ed because we are always here for you. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode. Hello everyone and welcome again to another episode of Budgeting Period, the podcast that helps you get your money in order. And so this isn't just a normal podcast that we talk about, you know, all the boring stuff and you should probably spend less. And of course, all that stuff is true, but like, how can you actually use your money to be happier and to buy the things that you want in life without going too far into debt, but also while not stressing about debt? And so today I want to introduce um, a gentleman that I met at a a money conference and we had just hit it off um, and I tap into him. He's actually, him and I have done a... um, Uh, a talk, a lecture of sorts, whatever you want to call it, that is up for my community in the freebie library. Um, And Mr. Ed, hello there. And I I don't want to say what you are or what you do for you. And so I want to give you the space for that. But we always have such good conversations and I love bringing your expertise into the room. And so I have some questions for my audience that I want to ask you. But first, who the heck are you? Well, I am Ed Combs, and let's see here. I'm a white 41-year-old male. You are I'm the a... finance industry definition. Yes, I, I am the prototypical guy, and I am the 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 thing that most of society is raging against. So, <laughs> um, But hopefully, as you listen to this podcast, you'll realize like I'm actually pretty down-to-earth and pretty cool and um, open-minded. So that being said, I, and, I, and as you know, we're kind of play, being playful about this introduction, I had a wonderful conversation with a a colleague that represents multiple intersections of diversity. And she said, you know, one of the things I appreciate about you is you're one of the few white males that I can actually talk to about all these things. So um, that being said, my professional background is both as financial planner, couples therapist, and financial therapy innovator. And I say financial therapy innovator because there's a group of us professionally that are trained as either financial planners or mental health professionals in most cases. I'm in both. But we're really looking at how do we combine the financial planning process and counseling skills and knowledge to come to come together to really help clients have a, a more balanced, healthy, effective relationship with their money. I love it. And I think... Um... I always like, of course, like to support women on my podcast or in my community and like to hear from like people of different races and genders and all the things, but I'm also not going to like turn away somebody that I really trust, like their advice and that has like the expertise. And so Ed, before we got on, before we started recording, we were talking about like, it's so important to have this like therapy, emotional side of money, because that's very real, like emotional Mm -hmm. spending, how we, um, (laughs) you're like, yes, how we talk, if we're able to talk with our partner about money, um, how we have different spending patterns, even against our partners, but then also the tactical, like financial planner side of things. And so I think you bring, um, a nice blend of things. And I think it's a good expertise to have. And I'm so excited, um, for just like what's ahead of you, because, Um, I am very tactical in my money approach, 
but I'm also the 101. We're just trying to like get a budget. We're just trying to talk about how much debt do you even have? Like I'm, I help people that haven't dug into mm-hmm. any of that before. And I think once we start to dive into that a little bit more, people like yourself come in handy because then we're starting to like lift up the rocks and, you know, of, oh man, I didn't even know I had this trauma. And here it is just like screaming at me every single day. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think that's absolutely right is it takes multiple different people all working towards helping people with their finances. And we need different degrees of help at different stages of life. Right. And so if you're in that starting phase of just starting to explore, what does it mean to budget and organize my money? And how do I do this? There's a financial literacy and financial comprehension piece. Right. And Kelly, that's where you come into play. And you're so helpful yeah. saying like, this is how you structure a budget. Like these are the different categories you use. This is kind of the timing. Here are some different ways to think about setting it up. Like yeah, that is not to be taken light, lightly or for granted because it's not, it's, if, it's easy once you get far enough into the financial journey to take it for granted that budgeting, budgeting should be easy, but it's actually not easy until someone's actually taught you how to do it and to understand it well. And so um, I, I think the work that you do is just as important and so valuable to helping folks kind of learn that there's a systematic way to manage your money. Yeah. Yeah. It's very true. Thank you for that. Um, we're going to dive right in because I have some good questions here and I feel like some of your aunt, looking at them, I didn't tell, I should have sent them to you ahead of time. I no, apologize. <laughs> I love on the spot. I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. Some of these I'm like, oh man, this is going to be, this is like a three session therapy, you know, thing, but, um, but <laughs> yeah. we'll, I, you know, whatever you can give us quick answers or <laughs> we'll, we'll take it. So, okay. Right. The first one is about stopping emotional spending. We're going to dive right in. So they say, I know that's what I'm doing and I can't afford it anymore. I feel, I want to feel like I'm in control again and making progress towards bringing my debt down. Um, I need a vacation. And so emotional spending, tell us about it. Yeah. So <sighs> emotional spending is very real, very legit, right? And emotional spending in my book is in in the category of addiction. And in the world of addiction, we kind of break them down into substances drugs and alcohol or processes, activities, behavioral patterns, right? Mm. But what the deeper truth of all addictions is they are designed to regulate our emotions. They are not a moral issue. They are a brain body regulation issue. Okay. Right. So when we can reframe our overspending and our, it, as a non-moral issue, it it unburdens the shame of the behavior. Yeah. Because when we understand the behavior is a manifestation of some sort of psychological distress, mm. we're designed as humans to stay out of psychological distress. And we will do all kinds of things to get ourselves out of psychological distress. So the journey of resolving overspending is about actually becoming more connected with your emotional world and discovering other ways to meet those emotional needs. Got it. And so it's not necessarily a, it's, it might not even be like a money issue. I'm going to put it in like blatant, non-educated terms. It's, it's like, is it triggering red flagging that something else is going on in a totally different part? Yes. It's, it's a red flag that something else is going on and it over emotional spending is 
commonly learned and seen in the family, right? Yeah. I, um, so you can watch your parents overspending or spending to compensate. And then you learn that that becomes a way of doing it, of managing things. And it creates a story in your head that when things get unmanageable, we go shopping. Mm. Right. So yeah. what you have to start developing over time is alternatives to that, that are also pleasurable, but non-consumption. Yeah. And it, it really is. So in the addictions world, they, there's a lot of uh, talk about the dry drunk. Okay. Which is basically white knuckling sobriety is I'll just willpower myself to not drink because when I drink, it's problematic for me. Yeah. And this is where I think like the restrictive budgeting pairs that, right? And it's the same thing with like eating disorders. So I'm drawing on these different mental health areas that we all have heard of and saying there's actually common themes across all of them. And so if part of working with our emotional world, and this is where it's going to get more practical, as simple as it may seem, part of working with your emotional world is naming and accurately identifying your own emotions around whatever experiences are happening, right? So let's make it even more practical. Work is miserable. I get bored easily. So I go on the internet and I start scrolling because that's more interesting to me. And then I find something I like to buy and that gives me a little dopamine rush. Oh, that felt good. Well, what happens the next time that you get bored at work? You go back online, you start scrolling, and you find something else to buy. Mm -hmm. That becomes a pattern that develops neural pathways in your brain. So really the solution is, how do I find other ways to not be bored at work? Yeah, it's about identifying is what it's sounding like. It's about identifying what's happening, what's the process or sequence. So this is another part of working with that is you can start to become curious about What's happening for me just before I go shopping? Mm. What's happening right before that? That's good. What, what is my emotional state of mind before I do that? Now, the, the other side of this is like, look, when I go, even as I start to get close to Costco, my brain lights up, <laughs> right? Because it's like deals everywhere. I have been conditioned and trained that there is great value in Costco, all the value, all the value. Right. And so like, this is that other side is that, hmm, I don't want to say become increasing that self-awareness and recognizing. And so, uh, um, but I, I overheard this somewhere and it was about Costco. So that's why it stuck with me. But, uh, someone was talking about, she overheard a woman walking into Costco and her little ritual to help her was I'm going into Costco. I'm going to stay on my list. Hmm. Right. And this is something we commonly hear in financial planning is like, make your list and stay on your list. Right. Yeah. And, and having that list is a way of trying to regulate yourself and not become distracted because marketing knows how to increase physiological arousal and excitement and interest and intrigue and that sense of value, which is what gets us to spend. People, they spend billions of dollars a year knowing how to market to you. Like it's isn't your fault. Like they are professionals doing it with science. Yes. Neuromarketing is a, yeah. is a burgeoning field of study. And yeah. 
Right. I mean, this is part of that also, I think, financial maturation and maturing is I think at some level, we all know we live in a consumer-based society. Yeah. And is honestly part of how most of us make our living directly or indirectly. Yeah. Right? Like, I need to sell my services. You need to sell your services. Yeah. We make money off of that. Yeah. And so it's always interesting to be on both sides of that coin is I'm also trying to help people save money and do the right thing, but I'm also trying to get people to part with their money. So (laughs) (laughs) I mean, but we, that is how the world works. Like, and I always, you know, some people are a little bit, um, they have opinions about people charging for the types of things that we do, but like, I wouldn't be able to offer these services if I didn't make money at it. Right. Like it's just like the nonprofit world. It's really shameful that we make these nonprofit organizations like function at like a 0.01% margin, right? They're not allowed to have too much profit. And if they do, they're being questioned. And if they spend money on pencils and they're asking, and did you buy too many pencils? When in the for-profit world is kind of, there's no boundaries and it's all over the place and it's out of control. And so I think a little bit of like the mix of the two and I, and like coming back to what you were saying, and I, that probably squirreled really far, but coming back to what you were saying, (laughs) I I always think of, I squirrel a lot. Okay. I always, I always think of like everything when we're trying to change something, it takes a lot of work, whether Mm -hmm. we're trying to work out, whether we're trying to quit an addiction, it takes a lot of work. And so I know this question is, how do I stop the emotional spending? The first thing is being aware of it. And the second part is realizing that it's going to take some work, right? And Mm -hmm. you, you pointed out some tactics that are really great to just start the journey. But I think sometimes we give up too quickly because it's not working. And I hear that all the time when people are trying to get on a budget and trying to create their budget, it's just not working. And I, I just want to help give people some encouragement that hard things aren't easy to do for a reason, but there's a big payoff if you can kind of do some of the work. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is where the study of counseling and psychology has been incredibly helpful and validating and alleviating some of that natural defeated feeling that we feel when we try something that's hard and then it doesn't go the way we think it should go or how long it should take. Right. I think yeah. there's a lot, of, a lot of people that it, they kind of hold both stories in their head and it depends on what what's activated. But it's like, well, money shouldn't be that hard. So then they start to work on it and then they realize like money's really hard, mm. right? And then other times they're in the narrative, like money is really hard and complicated, which just stops them from looking at it and trying to figure it out. So recognizing you have those two narratives often playing in your head. Yeah. But, but I'm sorry, from the counseling psychology standpoint, there's a a global model of how people change. It's called the trans theoretical model of change. And and basically what it says is that people go through six stages of change. So unawareness, I don't know that I even need to make any changes. Mm -hmm. Pre-contemplation, which is, I think that's, sorry, that is pre-contemplation. Like I'm not even thinking about making any changes contemplation. I'm starting to think about making changes, but I'm not really ready to do anything yet. Then preparation. You're starting to gather information and resources and where might I be able to make this change? And then you start to take action, right? And you're you're starting to make changes. But then there's always relapse. Mm. And that's where we get defeated. That's where we quit. That's where we stop. But we know in the process of change that you're going to have challenges. That's a no. That's a given. Mm. And so if we can remember that when we go into any change process, 
we are going to have setbacks. We're going to have failures. That is part of it. This is often where having the professional helper along your side who can hold that bigger view when you you hit that wall of that thing that is harder than you thought it was going to be to help you get back through it, to learn. So that the mentor, the guide, the coach, the counselor all play the same role of yeah. helping you stay in the action phase until you get to the last phase. And I'm not remembering the name correctly, but I'm, so I'm a, I'll call it integration, which is basically you're doing the thing that you wanted to do and you mostly continue to maintain doing it. Yeah. That's the full cycle of change. What becomes challenging about money is once you master one area of money, you then start to realize there's a whole nother area of money to learn. And the money world is actually quite large and complex and dynamic. But you you can break it down into smaller manageable pieces. And that place that most people start is around their budgeting. Yeah. But you all, then you start to learn about your investing and your net yeah. worth. Yeah. And how does how do those two things relate to each other? And so I like to also frame journeying into your money world as a fun journey into another culture, mm. right? Like, is it more fun for you to think about going and visiting a foreign place where you get to discover and learn the language and the culture and the different ways that they talk about and do things? And when we can approach our financial world from like, we're studying and going to visit a new culture and we need to find the ambassadors and the guides and the guidebooks to help us make the most out of being in that foreign culture. All of a sudden, it it reframes the whole experience. That is so beautiful. And I think to anyone listening, like, I know my action step is like, where am I stuck? Like, what am I, am I not even conscious about something that's happening? Am I am, but I'm not ready to make any actions on it? Am I starting to like figure out whatever it is, rewind this podcast a few seconds and hear the each step again and figure out because I get people all the time. And Ed, I'm sure you do too, where they're listening and they're like, maybe soaking some stuff in, but they're not quite ready to dive in or, and we, we can't force anybody to dive in. Like that would be the worst job on the planet. And so that's manipulation. There you go. That's manipulation. So we would never want to do that because it's also, I can't force anybody to do things with their money. Like virtually Mm -hmm. it's kind of impossible, but it's also not healthy. And so, Mm -hmm. and so (laughs) I'm glad yes. you pointed that out. It would be really bad. Um, but my, but my, where I want to, where I want to um, push people a little bit past their comfort zone is: Have you been in one stage for longer than maybe what you can be? And I'm sure, Ed, you're in like the therapy world. Are you, there's probably not a time limit on stages, but I do like to push people a little bit. Where if you've been contemplating about this for two or three years, at what point do we take the next scary step to move forward? Well, I think you kind of answered the question just a moment ago by your own process of asking yourself, where am I stuck? Yeah. If you can use that type of question with yourself or have someone else ask you that question, and maybe they won't ask the question exactly with those verbatim words, but something like that, it will often help you start to see where you need to go. Yeah. And there are unconscious factors that are, inhibiting our forward progress or there are unconscious factors that will pull us back from the forward progress that we're experiencing so this is another funny little thing is like for some people as their financial life starts to get better they'll start to self-sabotage 
because they do not feel entitled to have a good financial life, mm. right? Is, is one explanation, right? So it's, I'm now seeing these new numbers that make me actually feel logically. They, I know they're good, but they make me feel bad. Yeah. But one of the uncomfortable feelings, anxiety, fear, shame, unworthiness, guilt, uh, right. And because there's a number of people that were walking around feeling they have a belief that they're undeserving of having money or having too much money. And so they hit upper limits of, I have $2,000 in my savings. Oh my God, that's too much. And it, like their, t- their chest will tighten, you know, whatever their shoulders will collapse. So money is a very, very psychologically stimulating subject. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's at the end of the day, what we want, Ed and I want to get to everybody. It is complicated and it is hard. And if you're having struggles with it, you're not alone and it is okay. And I love your analogy with like traveling of like, when you go to a new place, you don't beat yourself up over not knowing the language or not knowing how to find the bus, or you just like ask somebody and it's not a big deal. And money can be the same thing. Yeah. I mean, if you can bring that spirit of curiosity yeah. and play and safety and, and you know, th- so when we roll back the tapes and when I ask my clients about their financial histories and their family financial histories and what were the dominant emotions associated with it, it's the uncomfortable emotions, right? And so that the uncomfortable emotions have been paired with the topic of money. And so it's no wonder that you feel anxiety when you go to try to approach money. It's very understandable. Yeah. And so what we want to start carving out are those pockets or moments where you have felt pride, hope, confidence, joy, peace around money, because everyone has also had positive money experiences. Even people that have had the most disastrous lives can still point to some time when they were resourceful. Yeah. And we can build from that. We can leverage that. And so I have a lot of questions here around systems and some of them are very tactical to how do you, like, do you split your bills 50, 50? And I know we've talked about this before and it kind of depends on you and your partner is what my advice always is. You have to do something that's comfortable for you. And, um, I have, I'll put it in the show notes here. I have a tool that's just like three different ways you can split money with your spouse. You have a shared joint account, you each are totally separate, you're all totally together. And it's just a conversation starter for you to have with your spouse. But other parts around systems here, they're talking about like, um, how, how do you get your partner? So one person is saying here that he likes to put things on the credit card and leaves me to figure out a way to pay it, um, which is scary in and of itself. Right. But that, or even like the, the spending and then all not being in alignment with how to like track the things and how are we going to make sure that we're all viewing the same stuff in the same spot. So we're both aware of what's going on, but like, what are systems advice that you have quickly here for us? Yeah. Okay. So let's start with the psychological and then we'll move to the system, right? The psychological concept that people have never heard of, but they're working towards is financial intimacy. Right. And financial intimacy, much like sexual intimacy, it's sometimes about the sexual positions you do together. But it's more. It is. Sorry. I like (laughs) that's how I roll. Right. And people can get really hung up on what's the best sex position. What's the best money position? Well, 
to your point, it depends on a lot of things. But I will always encourage my clients to go back first to say, what have your experiences been with past systems? What about them did you like and not like? What worked or not worked? In our relationship, in your own past intimate relationships, and then your mom and dads and your step parents. That review is very critical for understanding the context for why money is being managed the way that it is. Because those past experiences set the expectations for why we're going to do it the way we're doing it. Now, once you clear that up, then it does become, and I love that you have the article, like here are different systems because there are different systems, different ways to, to manage the flow of money through your life. Um, and that, I think honestly, that's more where your expertise is, is the functional systems, right? All in one pot, you know, your account, my account, no middle pot. Yeah. Three, a middle, middle count, yours, mine. It's all about like having that conversation and figuring out what is right for you guys. Right. it, It is. And I think it's also about, are we wanting to keep our money separate because we have open trust with each other oh, and Ed. we feel safe with each other? Or is it because we mistrust each other and we're afraid of being ridiculed, teased, judged, shamed for what we're doing with our money? And so we want to have separate accounts so that you don't see it. So you don't say things to me that make hurt my feelings. That's like a whole other like ball of, I was gonna say ball of worms. I don't think that's what the saying is, but ball of wax, uh, I think. Ball of yeah. wax. There we go. Can of worms and a ball of wax. Um, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. That is. <laughs> I think those are. It. Yes. And, and I think this is like the point that anytime I work with a client that has some of these complicated things with their spouse, where I know that I'm not the person to solve. I think what you said was exactly spot on. Of like, well, why do you not want to share your money with your spouse, or why do you want to have separate checking accounts, or why do you feel like you maybe it's resentment that your spouse makes more money than you or less money than you and it should be split a different way. And so I think all of these are triggers to point to there's something bigger going on and maybe we need to have a conversation with a professional. And I know, Ed, we're like out of time today and so we're going to have to cut it off. But I want (laughs) to thank you for joining us because this has been so great and it just proves that we could talk about this for hours and hours and hours. And so if you want to learn more about Ed, go ahead and check out his website. It's healthyloveandmoney.com. Of course, he's on social media and all that jazz too. So thank you again, Ed, for coming on the show today and talking just about, you know, how we can just start to make our relationship with money with our partners a little bit better. Because I'm telling you people, even if you're not completely out of debt or you still have things that you're figuring out, if you and your partner are on the same page, things are so much easier. All right. That's all the time that we have for today. Take care and we will see you on the next episode.